Colossians 2.11, listen to the word of the Lord. In him also you were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision by putting off the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. There's some topics that are not considered uh, appropriate to discuss in a given culture. If it, uh, there's a podcast I listen to and someone from uh, a different country wrote in, the question was, how much money do you make? And the podcaster said, you're not from America, are you? Because if you were, you would know how inappropriate that question is. And because it's an inappropriate question, I'm not going to answer it. And the person wrote back, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize that that was an inappropriate question. First off, I'm a child. You might not have noticed from my email, but I'm a child. And secondly, I'm not from America, so I had no idea. I remember being a kid and asking my own dad, how much money do we make? And he kind of like looked at me like, I'm not telling you that. Interesting, right? There's certain topics that are just sort of off limits. There's certain behaviors that are considered culturally inappropriate. For example, you know if you in Japan, you don't just walk into somebody's house with your shoes on. That would be like walking on somebody's pillow with your shoes on in America. Or in England, I don't know if you know this. But if you're a full-grown man and you are walking around in public wearing shorts, that's considered very undignified and inappropriate. Only a little kid or an athlete would wear shorts out in public. And, and they don't call them shorts either. They call them, what do they call them? What we call pants, they call, well, that's still, see, that's a cultural thing too. He said, what about a kilt? What we call when you say pants, they think underwear, boxer briefs. Yeah. Or trousers, trousers. I'm just so confused about the. But the point is there's culture. You bump into culture. Apparently in Jewish culture, it's not inappropriate or weird or freaking anybody out to talk about a man's penis foreskin and what they've done with it. Yeah, I said it. It made me horrified in my heart to say it. It's all over your Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. It horrifies me. And I'm like, this is really what we're going to talk about now? And, and like, God actually went so far as to make a, a covenant with Abraham. Abraham comes out of a prayer time and says, this is what we got to do, guys. Crazy. Obviously, it started as a religious tradition, circumcision. But how'd they even come up with the idea? Were there a bunch of religious leaders gathered? And one guy was like, all right, how should we honor God? I was like, I see we don't eat pork. I don't know. I like bacon. <laughs> Anyone got anything else? What if we cut off part of our penis? <laughs> All right, no pork. We'll go no pork. I want that man removed. My wife told me that in the Bible, Abraham circumcised himself. Wow. I can't even get to the bank before it closes. 
Abraham did it. Yeah, God told him to do it. Would have loved to have overheard that conversation. Abraham, oh, hey, God, how you doing? I need you to do something for me. Oh, sure, you're God. I need you to circumcise yourself. I think we got a bad connection. Uh, can you send me an email? Are you on Facebook yet? I'll tell you, those challenges in the Bible took a leap in difficulty there. You know, it's like, don't eat this apple, build me a boat, cut off part of your penis. What if I build you two boats? How did Abraham even tell his wife, you know? Maybe he didn't, he was just getting out of the shower. She was like, what have you done? <laughs> Honey, I can explain. God told me to do it. If God told you to jump off a bridge, if God told you to sacrifice our first, actually, I have to talk to you about that one. He's, he's, he's poking fun at how unusual, what, like, what is that all about? Well, Paul, as a Pharisee, as someone who would be the sort of the, the extreme obedience to the Old Testament commands, would have spent a long time thinking about questions like, why? In Genesis 17, God says that he's made an eternal covenant with Abraham and all his children after him, that all Israelites forever are supposed to have this mark or sign of this covenant they have with God by removing the foreskin of the male. They did it on the eighth day. You just said Jesus has it done. It's still an American uh, tradition too, for some reason. I'm not entirely certain why, but why? And what does Paul then say it signifies? You might be a little surprised to discover that this topic became extremely controversial in the early church. Because circumcision, when someone was circumcised, it was kind of symbolically a way of committing to obey all of the Old Testament law. So you have these, this fledgling church of Jesus trying to figure out, what do we do when outsiders join the movement? And so this, this really massive um, conflict, controversy arose real early on. Are these Gentiles going to be required to be circumcised? Now, I don't know if you remember this, but Paul had Timothy circumcised because his dad was Greek, even though his mom was Jewish. And so in order that Timothy could freely go in and around in Jewish circles and, and talk about Jesus, in order to, to, so that Timothy would sort of ease the, his social way, Paul went ahead and said, yeah, let's, let's, just get you, let's just get you circumcised so it won't cause problems, which makes you go, well, who's checking this stuff? Is it like at our church when you greet people and you hand them a bulletin that they would be like, you know, license and registration and they'd be like, you know, lift the kilt or what? What is going on? I know this sounds really crass and kind of embarrassing. This is why I was like, oh, really, Lord, I'm going to preach about this all week long. I've been thinking that. But, but no, they checked and you didn't get access to the temple if you weren't. They knew, hey, that guy is, hey, that guy's not. So Paul had Timothy circumcised, so you'd think, okay, it's okay for, for uh, Gentiles to be circumcised. And Paul would say, well, it's okay. But as soon as they started requiring it, Paul said, never mind. When it was optional and the missionary did it to be a missionary, to the Jew I became a Jew to reach Jews, to the Gentiles I became like Gentiles to reach Gentiles, though still obeying God. So I culturally, he's just drawing a distinction between that which is essential in your faith and that which is cultural. And in the early church, the argument broke out very early. Is circumcision a part of what is essential or not? And Paul said, guys, 
Don't you understand that if you allow yourselves to be roped in to this whole mindset that is represented by circumcision, that you're actually being cut off, but I'm bomb ching, from Christ. That's Galatians 6.2. Yeah, cut off. Like this is not accidental language. This became a huge deal, a huge deal. And Paul says, guys, let's talk about what is the point of circumcision in the first place. And you go, what is the point of circumcision in the first place? That is a symbol of human passions. That is a symbol of human passions. And to, to cut away the foreskin is both, of course, a covenant sign. And we know that in, the, in, in that culture, when two parties would make a covenant, they would kill an animal. They would declare the terms of the covenant. They would kill an animal. They would put the blood from the animal on both parties to signify, to signify on pain of death, we will keep our side of the covenant. All covenants were sealed in blood. May I become like this animal if I break my side. And so God has Abraham mark this as the symbol of all of his passions. His human appetites are being submitted to God. So Paul uses this idea. This is really huge for Paul. Everywhere in your Bible where he talks about the lusts of the flesh versus the spirit, he's referencing circumcision. Did you ever even think about that before? The cutting away of the flesh to Paul is the Old Testament reality of the cutting away of being ruled by human passions. And you go, flesh? Okay, so we're just talking about lust. Nope. We're talking about pride. We're talking about greed. We're talking about unforgiveness. We're talking about envy. We're talking about bitterness. We're talking about independence. We're talking about self-will. And here's the craziest thing. Paul, as a Pharisee, when he was committed to this whole law-based system, he ended up hunting down Christians and throwing them in jail and hating them, thinking he was loving the holy God of the Bible and thinking that he was protecting obedience to the commands of God. He was a resentful, unloving, judgmental, unmerciful persecutor. So for Paul, it's not just rebellion that he says, this is flesh, but even religion is flesh. Fascinating. So, so Paul, with his background, early church, well, do we make these people, we, we got to make these guys be, be circumcised. It's Genesis 17. It's an eternal covenant. It, the word eternal means eternal. We're the ones who are biblical, Paul. You're the heretic. You know that, right? Like the New Testament authors would be viewed as heretics. I think they would be viewed as heretics by most of us today. We'd look at the Bible and we'd say, Genesis 17 is true, Paul's an idiot. Because it says eternal covenant, the end, conversation over. And Paul would say, yeah, but I am eternally fulfilling the true spirit of that text when I turn from my sins, which Jesus accomplishes. So the outward sign versus the inward reality. So Paul's saying to these Colossians who are Gentiles, who are tempted to they're introduced to Jesus from the Bible, right? So then these other people come and they have Bible too, but they're saying things that their original pastors didn't say. Hey, what about this? What about this? Are you obeying this? Are you obeying this? Are you obeying this? You guys aren't very biblical. You're only a little biblical. You need to become completely biblical. And Paul says, oh my word, you guys, they're trying to take you into slavery 
telling you it's going to take you into the power of the Lord. More rules, and they got Bible verses attached to every one of their rules. Unless you know Jesus real well, you're about to be duped using the Bible. Paul says, y'all have the reality that outward circumcision is supposed to be a symbol of. Circumcision outwardly is supposed to point to an inward reality, namely that you have had that life ruled by human willfulness cut away and instead you have had a new heart planted in you that has sensitivity to God instead. So Abraham and Sarah, they're like, I got me an idea. God's slow on keeping his promises, so we better figure it out. We better make it happen. So they, they come up with this plan. We're going we're gonna to use Hagar, and she's going to be the one through whom we help God keep his promise to me. And this becomes yet another symbol of what does it look like when we depend on the flesh to fulfill the work that is meant to be the work of the Spirit. Baptism has become for the Christian the outward sign of the inward covenant. You could say, oh, so baptism has replaced circumcision. Well, kind of, yeah. Which is why a lot of people baptize babies because they see this connection that the, the sign of the covenant for the church is no longer circumcision like it was for the Jewish people, but now baptism is the sign of covenant. Therefore, we'll baptize babies and that'll, that'll be fine. I wouldn't baptize someone who has not fully understood what it is that they're doing and is knowingly committing to follow and obey Jesus. To me, the inward reality should be paired as much as possible with the outward uh, sacrament. So Paul instantly goes to baptism right away. Verse, verse 11, he says, y'all actually had the reality that Old Testament circumcision was pointing to. You have the reality in Christ. Christ is the reality that the old is the shadow. Jesus is the substance. And you've already got it. So you don't need the outward. You need the inward. And the reality of circumcision is about being led by the spirit where once you were led by the flesh. And the word flesh is really, is really intriguing because you, you would think, you would think, okay, flesh is obviously evil temptations. That's true. Flesh includes obviously evil temptations and desires, but flesh is so much more than that. It's oftentimes not so obvious temptations and desires. Doing the right thing in the wrong way for the wrong reason is also flesh. This is why I think it's, it's most helpful to view flesh as self-will or independence or self-effort rather than just viewing it as obvious evil. Stephen, when he's right before he's killed, he's killed because he confronts. He, he's killed because he stands up in public and basically yells at people and tells them, you stink and you need to stop stinking. If I was giving Stephen some coaching, I'd be like, Stephen, so if you want to, if you want to, you know, if you want to pull that ship into port, you know, people are like a cruise ship. It's, it's huge. It turns real slow. Your influence in their life is like a kite string. You know, Stephen? So, so Stephen, if you, if you don't want to lose them, you got you to lasso that kite string to that cruise ship, just the, to, the, to the nose of it. I don't know what you call that. What's the technical word for the tip of that? To that, what they said, 
to the bow of the ship. And then gently, you're going to have to pull it. And you're going to have to be real patient. If you pull too hard, you're going to break the kite string. And Stephen just pulls the whole kite string apart and screams at him and tells him that they're absolutely terrible and then they kill him. And he should have. And it was led by the Spirit. And God was pleased. Isn't that something? <laughs> We're just in a culture that views, if you offended someone, you've sinned. That's a lie. That's a lie. He was faithful, and his faithfulness was deeply offensive. One of the things he says in Acts chapter 7, verse 51, he says, You stubborn people with uncircumcised hearts and uncircumcised ears, always opposing the Holy Spirit, just as your ancestors used to do. What does it mean that we in Christ have experienced a circumcision of heart. Kind of would help us to know what an uncircumcised heart behaves like, right? So this, I think this verse was really helpful. You stubborn people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. Stubborn people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. Always, interesting, always, okay, opposing the Holy Spirit. So then what would it be to have a circumcised heart? Start here. What's the opposite of stubbornness? Anything else? Cooperative. What else? Obedient. Yielded. What else? If we're in an argument, see, stubbornness might not always be me uh, submitting to your will. If Linda and I are having an, a disagreement and I refuse to acknowledge that her feelings matter at all, that's a form of stubbornness. Even though she's not trying to control me, she's just trying to talk to me. So I would call a sensitivity, maybe. To have a heart that's been circumcised by Christ's spirit is to have a heart that has been switched from being stubborn toward God, we're talking about toward God, to a heart that's willing, cooperative, yielded, obedient, and I would say sensitive to God. A heart that is made sensitive. Now, do I, I mean, there's a story in the Old Testament where there's a young lady named Dinah, and she's raped, and her brothers are so furious that they go back to that village, and the guy who raped her says, I'm in love with her. I want to marry her. Don't you just want to beat that man with sticks right now? I want to marry her. I'm in love with her. And they go, all right, well, if you're going to marry her, uh, you and your whole village, all you guys are going to have to be circumcised because that's repugnant to us. We can't even be around you. Gross. And they, they go, he goes, oh, okay. And so then they do it. The whole town does it. And then while, like two days later, when the whole town of men is bleeding and sore, this is in your Bible, I'm not making this stuff up, is bleeding and sore, Dinah's brothers go through and they kill every last one of them. Something about circumcision makes you sensitive. A heart that's sensitized. A heart that's not hardened. Have you ever heard in Scripture this idea of someone having a hardened heart? 
that when we don't yield to the Holy Spirit, when we resist the Holy Spirit repeatedly, we harden our heart. We get calluses. I play guitar. If I haven't played guitar in too long, my fingers are hurting about halfway through the worship set. I mean hurting, but I don't let you guys know it. But when I play a lot, I get calluses. That's actually a, a part of the instrument. The calluses of the guitar player are a part of the instrument. They're like the pads on the piano that hit the keys. It's an actual part, mechanical part of the process that's essential. You can't really do it without it. In, in order for a Christian to sin and sin and sin and sin, there's mechanics that need to take place because a Christian naturally loves God. A Christian is someone that the Spirit of God lives in their heart. So they love God. They wake up in the morning and they want to please God. In order for a Christian to sin, they have to develop calluses or it's not possible. They have to work at repeatedly resisting and disobeying the Lord. Did you know that? We flip that. We underestimate the transformed part, power of, of the gospel to change our hearts. But the Christian naturally loves God and hates sin. And the only way that a Christian can live a sinful lifestyle is to harden our heart and our ears against the Lord by repeatedly disobeying. And it can grow too. You can disobey in a small thing. Like you can't get from here to robbing a bank and killing people overnight. It's gonna take a while. You're gonna have to make small compromises so that from here you can get to here and from here you can get to here and from here you can get to here. I heard a guy say, I'm capable of any kind of evil that any other human has ever done, just not today. Because I've been so transformed by a lifestyle of obeying Christ that for me to get way over there is going to take a while. Because it's not who I am. I've been changed. And I've yielded. And I've been transformed. My, now I obey Jesus easily and naturally. But it's possible through repeatedly sinning to sin easily and naturally. And it's possible to sin in, in lifestyle ways so much that you can't get from here to there in a day. That telling the truth is an, un, is an unnatural act. That feeling bad when you hurt someone is an unnatural act. That, so an uncircumcised heart is a stubborn heart. It's stubborn heart and stubborn ears. A circumcised heart is a sensitized, transformed heart. And Paul says, y'all have that and you didn't achieve it. You didn't do it. It was done in you, not by human hands. It's not an outward thing that you did to submit to humans and to be accepted within a human culture. It was something God did inside of you when you said your yes to Jesus. He cut away the old sin self. He took away your hardened heart and your hardened ears, and he put in you a new heart, new desires, new yearnings, new sensitivities, and a new ability to hear and be attentive to a different voice. My mom, she kind of grew up in a conservative Mennonite environment where women wore the head covering. First Corinthians 11 says that a female is supposed to have a sign of authority on their head to show that they are submitted and uh, for the angels. And I thought, let's talk about the angels. How come no one's talking about the angels? What the heck's going on with the angels? And everyone said, shh, be quiet and do what you're told. But mom was one of the first women in her church to take the head covering off. 
in that culture at that time, it was very important in communicating, I'm not a prostitute. I'm not in a pagan uh, worship ceremony. But in our culture, it doesn't have those meanings. So she decided that what really matters is the deeper spiritual meanings that that outward sign was meant to convey. And to her, it meant that I have a respectful and healthy relationship to my husband as the head of, of our marriage. That's so offensive, by the way, already to our culture right now. Just, I just know it. I, just, I, I get it. I get it. But part of that is because we've seen bad models, bad, unchristlike models. And if we saw a Christ-like model, we'd say, hey, that's actually good news. But anyway, so mom said, I don't need to wear a piece of cloth on my head. I need those attitudes that, that it's about in my heart. So she took the head covering off. I mean, and that was a big deal for her because in her little fear-based world, as a young conservative Mennonite, it was, if Jesus comes back and I don't have the head covering on and I'm in bed, I'm, I'll be left behind. And you go, well, that's silly. No, I'm serious. She felt that way. Just because it was only 50, 60 years ago doesn't, you know, well, people hundreds or thousands of years ago would have thought that. No, it's closer than that. Now to this day, I hear my mom say, of catty, haughty, rude, domineering, conservative Mennonite or Amish women who boss their husbands around, but they have a head covering on. She said, my mom will say, just take off your covering. What's she saying? You have the outward sign and you completely lack the inward reality. So is it possible to be Jewish in every way and hate Jesus and not be on the right side of God? To be a Jew outwardly only, but not inwardly. Okay, you got a question or a comment? Question. They were not. The women were not required. And I think it has to do with in that culture, you got to understand, thousands of years ago, right? So the females drew their sort of covenantal status by their connection to their, either their dad when they were a child or their husband once they were married. You, you could say, well, that's sexist. I agree. Which is why in Christ, when, when Galatians 3.28 says there's neither male nor female in Christ, that's a huge, that's like, whoa, we've had a major cultural upgrade. Women are full covenant partners they're not in because of their husband in some way. They're full covenant partners. They stand on their own two feet and they're in face-to-face -face relationship with the Father. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians 11, one of, the re one of the reasons it says to have women wear a head covering is so that they can prophesy publicly. You know what prophecy is? It's speaking for God. That's pretty cutting edge. In that culture at that time, having women speak for God was hardcore. So that's an excellent question. The women in the Old Testament were not circumcised. They kind of drew their covenantal inness from their relationship with the man. But in the New Testament, not at all. Women and men both alike have covenant through Jesus. Yeah, through Jesus. So it's possible to be a Jew outwardly, but not inwardly. And so for Paul, this became huge. In the book of Galatians, he talks about who is a true Jew? Who is the true Jew? Did you know what? A Gentile who loves Jesus and has changed their life but who eats bacon and is uncircumcised is more of a Jew than someone who was born Jewish, 
circumcised on the eighth day, follows all the ceremonial laws, but who hates Jesus. You got The whole New Testament was written by Jewish people, right? I'm a Gentile. But by virtue of my faith in Jesus, I'm a, I'm a true son of Abraham. It's as though I'm Jewish. Same for you. There's not two churches. There's not a Jewish church and a Gentile church. You have people nowadays still thinking that. Nowadays, people are still talking about a Jewish church versus a Gentile church. It's like, read your Bible. In Ephesians, Paul says God has made one new man out of the two. And Jew and Gentile alike who believe in Jesus are Israel. If Israel were here, my other kids would be like, Israel, I said your name. 1 Corinthians 7, 19, Paul, uh, Paul says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. All that matters is obeying God's commands. Or in Galatians again, he says, circumcision or uncircumcision is irrelevant. The only thing that matters is faith working through love. Now there he really nails it. Faith working through love. It, see, it's a symbol for Paul. If you... Again, your willingness to go to that extreme and be circumcised is a symbol of your willingness to obey the whole law. And Paul says, actually, guys, you could try for the rest of your life to obey the whole law, thinking this is going to make you right with God. First off, you would never, you would never do it enough to change your own nature. You could fulfill the outward letter of it perfectly. Paul claimed that he did. Don't you remember this? Philippians 3, in regard to the law, faultless. Remember that? You can fulfill the outward perfectly, but it still won't change your inside nature. Only trusting Jesus will. So when you say the word faith, we think, oh, we it means believe. I it means like, oh, I believe that. But for Abraham, believing God was so real that he left everything behind and, and, and went to a land where he'd never been before. For Abraham, believing was so real that he took his only son Isaac up the mountain. Do you know the story? Genesis 22. He was willing to sacrifice his only son if that's what God said. That's what faith did in him, right? It wasn't a set of beliefs. Faith is personal surrender to God not beliefs about God. So when we say, oh, you know, we don't have to obey the law, we just have to believe the right things. No, 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 no. No. The idea of the law saving you, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's mowing the weeds. It's mowing the weeds. You know what I mean by mowing the weeds, right? It's my yard at my house. I don't, I don't use weed killer and I don't use fertilizer and my yard looks half decent for a few months of the year unless you look close. A couple houses down, there's some people who they carefully seeded those yards with good, good seed, and they've, they maintain it. And it's nothing but grass, no clover, no nothing. I like to support my local bee population, so clover is everywhere, and you go, but then your kids step on bees and they get bee stings. And I'm like, it'll make them tough. Until I step on one. And then I'm like, I forgot how much that hurt. But this whole focus on rules. This focus on rules. 
doing what's right, doing what's biblical, making sure there's a Bible verse for everything. There was a lady talking about going through a really hard time. She was talking about living in a house that had mold in it and just, and it, just a bunch of stuff. No, it had no money, just relationships all broken. Everything was bad, and she was going through a major depression. And on top of all that, sometimes, sometimes, the way we're believing about God doesn't lift the burden. It actually adds more burdens. I should be more of an overcomer. So now the way you're thinking about God isn't lifting your burdens. It's not helping. It's actually worse. You ever go through something hard and then you think maybe I'm being punished? Interesting. I'm serious. The enemy likes to, likes to put that kind of thought in your head. Oh, I wonder what I've done wrong to deserve this. Maybe I'm being spanked. It's easy to go down those roads. So this lady wrote this blog and she talked about how joining a group of people online that shared humorous memes, humorous memes, brought laughter to her heart. And as a very religious person who felt guilty for cracking jokes, right? Joy was only allowed when you were singing to Jesus. She actually had to break through a kind of Bible-based legalism to just be a part of an online community sharing memes that were funny. So she shared this post later about how being a part of this little community that just shared humorous jokes was absolutely critical in her getting through that season and finally getting out of the legalism that made it even worse and what God had done for her. You should have seen the Pharisees on her blog. Now, sister, the Lord only wants you to depend on him and he allowed you to have mold in your house and to have those relationships lost. The Lord allowed you to have that bad stuff happen to you so you would learn not to depend on you, but to depend on him. And you're going to memes. It's like trusting in the Egyptians. Now, when you're ready to repent and rejoice fully in the Lord Jesus, he'll be waiting for you. I'm just deeply concerned about you. Concerned is like, that's a trigger word for me. People who are concerned, hmm, Red flags everywhere, right? Like I got the pamphlet in the mail that was sent to me by the Fellowship of Concerned Mennonites. It's real. It, Eric, it was real. I stood there in my kitchen and I looked at it right before I dropped it into the trash. Those people are led by what they're concerned about, which means they're in the flesh. They're not anchored in their hope in Jesus. They're anchored in what they're provoked by. There's something wrong. I'm out. I'm out. Let's shut it down. For Paul, every single time he references the flesh and the spirit, the cutting away of the flesh, the putting to death the flesh, he's referencing circumcision. Because in his mind, circumcision is central to what it is to belong to God. Whether you're an Old Testament Jew circumcised physically or a New Testament Israelite, Jew or Gentile, who's had a transformation of heart. Now we're led by the Spirit. Now we've brought the body under submission. A couple weeks back, I said something that was very unclear in here. I said that your body is not the same as the flesh, and that your body is good. And I could feel some question marks but Abraham was asked to be circumcised. He was not asked to be castrated. He was asked to bring that symbol of his human passions and desires under God's lordship. He was asked to submit himself, right? Sex and sexuality is good and a gift of God. 
Food is good. Dancing is good. Money is a blessing. There's all sorts of things that are blessings. We're supposed to receive them as blessings. And those things are supposed to be ordered under Christ. And your body, your body, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And by submitting to the spirit, even the body can be told, sit down, shut up, and do what you're told. And it can finally stop its whining and crying and complaining and requesting and petitioning. And it can finally line up and say, yes, sir. Which is why I think it's really important to develop other disciplines in our life. Fasting is important. Working out exercise is important. There's lots of ways that we need to learn how to develop discipline because self-control is a fruit of the spirit, but it's also a muscle that gets stronger when we exercise it. And if you can say no to yourself with food, you might have a better chance saying no to yourself with resentment or worry. If I can say yes to myself to get out of bed and go run, which I hate to do in the morning, then I might be able to say yes to obey the Holy Spirit's nudge to walk across the road and make a fool of myself sharing love with a total stranger. I've said enough. Let's stop. <laughs>